Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. My name's Ellis Williams. I'm joined by Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Welcome back from furlough. It's nice to be back. And Scott Pasco's here with us as well. Scott, how are you? Where's Dan? I don't think I've done a podcast without Dan. This is going to be weird. You've got a lot to live up to, Ellis. Hey, yeah, no, no pressure, right? At one time, he wasn't here for a stand-up, and I, I couldn't have been more palm sweaty and nervous. And there's just something natural about Dan's flow. Um, that we all try to emulate. So here we go, right? You'll do good. Appreciate that, man. All right. So before we get going, um, I just want to say I hope you all had a safe and enjoyable Memorial Day weekend. Uh, Quickly to any veterans listening or family members of veterans, all of us here at Cleveland.com want to thank you and your families for your sacrifices, uh, which allow us our precious liberties and the luxury of talking about sports for a living. So truly thank you. And thank you to all our Football Insider subscribers for submitting a lot of smart and fun questions today for what is going to be a Texter Tuesday show here on a Wednesday. So let's jump right into it. Our first question, and not many names submitted in uh, this round of questions. So uh, we're just going to say the question. And again, thank you for submitting all you. Sorry, I couldn't get the names on there. Uh, But this first one asking about Andrew Barry's personnel department, you know, there's been a lot of changes. Question's pretty simple. What's your thoughts on Barry's newest additions and additions overall to the personnel department? Uh, Mary Kay, we can start with you because you've been on top of this. The most recent one, Charles Wells from the Packers, I believe. Uh, so, yeah, your thoughts on how Barry's been doing uh, reshaping that personnel department? Well, I think he's doing a really good job. I think the first thing that, that you want to look at with, with Questy uh, Adolfo Mensa is the fact that uh, he definitely has that numbers background, that, that analytics background, and he's just another one of those really smart, really brilliant guys to add to this all Ivy League front office. So uh, they're kind of keeping with the theme. We've talked about alignment over and over and over again. Uh, so I think that he represents alignment philosophically. And uh, and then again, as you mentioned, Charles uh, coming in here, uh, it's, another, it's an opportunity also for, uh, for the Browns to make some excellent minority hires. And I think that they deserve a lot of credit uh, for doing more than just giving lip service to the Rooney Rule. I mean, they have one of two African-American general managers, and, and they really embrace the rule. Kevin Stefanski has told us, uh, and if you guys read Scott Patsko's excellent profile on Callie Brownson, uh, Kevin Stefanski has told us that Callie Brownson, he believes his chief of staff, uh, that she someday will be an NFL head coach. So they're one of the very few teams that has a female on the coaching staff. Uh, again, they're one of the very few teams that has an African-American general manager. And they do so much more than just talk about the Rooney Rule, than just give token interviews. 
Uh, they hire excellent candidates that deserve these jobs, and we do have to commend them for that. Yeah, I don't have a lot to add there, but I do think it's obvious that they're, they have a plan on how they want to go about filling positions. You know, they, they've given off the sense that they're, they're very calculated about what they do, and, and finding people who are outside the quote-unquote norm um, has been a thing for them. And, and they, even with their lead data scientist, uh, Nate Stirk, and the guy who won the, the NFL's Big Data Bowl a couple years ago, you know, he's worked in government, he's worked in uh, social media, always on the, the technology side. Um, but here's somebody who comes in kind of from the outside of sports and, and has that role. So they're, they're thinking creatively, and, uh, you know, we all get to find out how well it works going forward. Yeah, Scott and Mary Kay. And, you know, it's a cliche, but in life, I don't think it could be more true. Um, when you are the smartest one in the room, you need to find more rooms to be in or you need to get in a different room, however that goes. And um, there's a lot of smart people in Berea, and they just keep adding, like you said, Scott, diverse thinkers, people from different backgrounds. And you're going to come up with a lot of different input will get you different output and then they land on some decision making and that's what it seems like the goal is here and the, these hires they're young they're diverse and you're right Mary Kay when we first talked to Kevin Stefanski at that presser which feels like two years ago now with, with everything that's gone on uh, but he was came out right and said you know we're gonna make minority hires and he clearly wasn't just talking about the, the coaching staff this is front office positions also so if they're gonna lead in one way I think this is a great front to lead on all right let's get to this next question uh, we're switching gears here to the running back position, a position we've talked a lot about and probably will continue to talk about because of Nick Chubb's looming contract extension. Uh, Mary Kay, I'm going to let you start with this one. The question is, will the Browns start to work on an extension for Chubb after this season, or do you think they may not want to try to put too much money into the running back position? You know what? I think they want to keep their own players. I think they want uh, to draft well and then hang on to those players, especially the guys like Nick Chubb that, that have even exceeded expectations and that have done so incredibly well. So I would think that they will do everything in their power to try to get him wrapped up after this season is over, not let him get away, uh, pay him his market value, and, uh, and, and try to continue to do that, not just with him, but with the other core players on this football team. And they've got a lot of those guys coming up. They've got Larry Ogunjobi, Larry Ogunjobi coming up this year. Uh, they've got uh, then they've got Miles, uh, then they've got Denzel and Baker. So you know they've got some paydays coming up, but I do think that they will make every effort uh, to sign their own guys and keep them home. And Scott, yeah. Scott, sorry, quick, real quickly here. I think the key word there with what Mary Kay said was market value. Is that going to be where this is headed with Nick Chubb? You think? Well, here's the thing, and you know, we always bring this up when we talk about Nick Chubb. There's also Kareem Hunt. You know, and I think this year we're going to find out who who has the most value in this offense. You know, it could you know, if it turns out that Kareem Hunt, they see him as more valuable. Maybe he's the guy getting the big extension, and Nick Chubb is, you know, that they move him for whatever. You know, that you could end up happening that way. So we'll find out a lot. You know, we're going to see these guys in the backfield together every week to week. We're going to be able to gauge how much they are helping the offense. So you know, I they're not going to do anything I wouldn't think before the end of the season, because they're going to want to sit down and really look at what both of them bring to the offense going forward. Cause the hope of course is that Stefanski is here for multiple years and you're not switching gears again. So you can sit down and actually evaluate players based on what they did last year, knowing that they're going to be in the same offense. Yeah. And look, like I said, we're going to be talking about this for 
a long time, I'm sure, with this, the state of the running back market. And the Browns have two of the most interesting and young running backs in the league, both looking for contracts here soon. So we'll put that one to bed for now. All right, this next question starts on a lighter side, and we appreciate that sometimes. Have you seen Joe Thomas on the Titan games? What position would you play him at now? Fullback, maybe? And he, this uh, insider ends with, Love the insider stuff, by the way. Thanks and stay healthy. So sort of a two-part question here. Uh, for who, anyone who didn't see it, the, the Titan games looked like this. I just saw a clip online hosted by The Rock. Looks like an obstacle course mixed with uh, some gladiator, uh, just a you know out-of-the-box competition type thing that tests your athleticism. Point is, Joe Thomas looked great, and it was a great race, and he ended up winning. So let's start there. Um, I, know, I know, Scott, you said you'd seen it. Um, what were your thoughts on it uh, when you see this former – well, future Hall of Fame left tackle and face of the Browns uh, blocking and now looking like a one heck of an athlete uh, doing obstacle course and bear crawling and all these things. What were your thoughts there? Yeah. Well, first, I think a good way to describe the Titan games is like American Ninja Warrior, but with more of a strength based setting. You know, it was really about power and there, you know, there were obstacles to get through, but a lot of it was really about what can you lift? How strong are you and how long can you last? That kind of thing. But um Wow, Joe Thomas is in great shape now. He even tweeted out a picture of himself in the – it must have been like a publicity shot he did uh, in the, the Titan Games outfit and, you know, veins bulging. And, you know, he does not look like the Joe Thomas we saw play for 10 years, that's for sure. Um, so, you know, he even said that watching it – and it was a clip that kind of followed him uh, throughout the course that was put up on, on Twitter today. He looked at – to him, it looked like it was nothing, but he said it was just so grueling. He was getting blurred vision towards the end and his legs were starting to fail him. And, you know, the last part of it is like dragging this big, what I'm assuming is a concrete ball over, you know, yeah, with a chain. And then it's, you could tell he was wiped out, but it, you know, it was interesting. I don't, I have no idea if like he goes on now to, to go against someone else, but it's clear that the Joe Thomas has kind of completed the transformation from you know, from, from big fat guy lineman, even he, he was never really, I think a big fat guy lineman. That was probably his, his thing was he was more proportioned than most of the guys anyways, but from that to what we see now has been pretty incredible. Well, it's nice to see that, uh, you know, to, to have to see him go down uh, like he did and to have that streak snapped and to see him like laying there uh, on the football field in a way that he never wanted to end his career ever, you know? So to see him be able to do something, uh, you know, like the Titan games and to, to show the incredible athlete uh, that he is on one hand, it's uh, you know, it's amazing and it's wonderful. On the other hand, I still wish uh, that he could have been around for the good times, you know, like if they get this thing turned around and uh, you know, and, and Baker Mayfield is everything everybody hopes that he can be. And this team makes it to the playoffs. I would have liked to have seen Joe Thomas enjoy some of that success before he had to hang it up. He deserved it. Uh, he was here through all the rough times. He deserved some of the glory and some of the joy. I wish he could have gotten that. He did what he had to do, but it's nice to see that he's feeling physically phenomenal again. As for the second part of that question, is there a position you could see him playing now? The, the texture suggested fullback. The fun one's probably tight end. Do either of you two see him on the field in any capacity if he could do it? You know, he looks like a defensive end now. I don't know if he's got that kind of quickness, but that's what he looks like. I, I wrote about his weight loss a while back, and I can't remember off the top of my head what he was down to, but, you know, he, he looks like, you know, the T.J. Watt, uh, uh, Miles Garrett 
type of frame where it's just long and lean and put together. And, but again, I, I doubt he has that kind of quickness. I, if you're going to put him somewhere on a football field now, you're probably tight end. Can he catch? <laughs> was he ever a tackle eligible? I don't know that he was. Yeah, I, I would probably say tight end. I think that's the, uh, the few times that I saw him when he lost all that weight right away. Uh, other than, you know, being a, a GQ model, I thought he, he looked almost like a tight end. So, uh, so yeah, that's probably what, where I would think of him because I guess I think of him on offense more so than anything. And, um, and knowing how athletic he is, I'm guessing he can catch the football. I hear that, Mary Kay. All right, this next one isn't a question, but I always love reading stuff like this. Uh, this insider says, you guys are doing a great job at a time when there really isn't a lot of real interesting football news going on out there. I commend your efforts. So we appreciate that. You know, we, and the daily podcast, we just keep trying to crank out content for you guys and you guys make it all more enjoyable. So again, thank you. All right, this next one actually is a question. This insider asking, what do you think the odds are that the season will begin as scheduled with empty stadiums? I usually travel from out of town for the Browns first home game. I don't like my chances this year. Uh, Mary Kay, we can start with you on that one. You know what? I say the season is going to start on time, and I think there will be some fans in the stands. I, you know what? I, it just seems like things are happening very quickly right now. Uh, you know, every time we turn around, uh, there's something new that is happening. Some state is opening up. Uh, you know, my goodness, pools are opening tomorrow around here. Uh, gyms are opening up everywhere. Uh, and as long as all of that goes well, and there's not a horrible, horrible second wave, and we can all learn how to manage this and social distances, treat this and do whatever else we have to do, it really seems to me like the NFL has pushed the envelope all the way through. They, they did free agency on time. They did the draft on time. They fully expect to have a full season. Now, of course, J.C. Treader is going to make sure that they are 100% healthy before those players get out there. But it seems to me... Uh, that they are on track for not only a season, but for some fans in the stands. I would be surprised if there are fans in the stands this year. Um, there's a chance they could start on time, uh, but there's some dominoes need to fall before then. You know, we don't even have, we don't have baseball yet. We don't have basketball. I think those two things need to get to where they're competing before the NFL can move forward just from the nature of what football is. But you know, getting players back on the field and coaching individual drills. Yeah, I think um, we're a lot closer to that than we were, you know, a few weeks ago. So that's that's promising. But I, I would be surprised if there's fan in, fans in the stands. I, there are people who paid for season tickets for specific seats. I'm not sure how you space people out and make everybody happy. And I feel bad for any usher who would have to enforce uh, social distancing rules with uh, some inebriated football fans. I don't, I don't see how that happens. I, who would want that job and how would you do it? So I, I don't think there'll be fans in the stands this year. And Scott, my bad if I missed this. Do you anticipate the season starting on time? Just no fans, that's what you're saying? Or would you be surprised? I don't know. I, at this point, I don't know. I don't, yeah. I don't anticipate anything happening normally this year. That's probably the best way to answer that. Yeah, I'll agree on that one. And, and for me, I, you guys said a lot of the right things. Look, before we got on today, I saw the NHL come out with, you know, they're ready to continue their playoffs, which really doesn't relate to the NFL because we're talking about finishing the season comparing to starting it. Same with the NBA. They're in the same boat. What we're, try what we're looking at here is Major League Baseball and college football. And if the Major League Baseball can somehow get on the field before 
college football in the NFL, then that could be a guinea pig in a way. But they're having, you know, player association disputes with money. I think the highest paid players, really salary cuts in general. So that's a whole nother dispute. And college football is its own other monster because of, you know, they're, they're, they don't have a governing body uh, compared to the NFL. So really, even though we thought the NFL had all this time, they might just be as unique as it comes and have to figure this out on their own. Uh, Mary Kay, I, I tend to agree with you. I have a feeling that things start on time, but then I side with Scott too with, I don't know how you get fans in there, but then I see a thing where, you know, Ohio state, I think it was Ohio state. Some, some, someone came out with saying, you know, you could have, they're practicing social distancing models with, you know, 20 or 30,000 fans in, in these giant uh, college cathedrals, which, you know, are different to, than some NFL re- arenas. So again, it, it's not apples to apples. We've got a lot to figure out and we've really been saying that for the past two months, but it feels like there's good news. We're going to see sports soon. Yeah. And, you know, again, and the, the interview that we did with JC Treader last week, a lot of things really kind of hit home in that interview, including the fact that, uh, you know, that there are players with underlying conditions and there are family members that are concerned and it is so much more of a contact sport. I mean, it's just, you cannot even compare it to, to baseball. I mean, you could actually do some social distancing in baseball. Okay? It wouldn't be perfect. Uh, but for the most part, uh, you you could pull that off. You cannot even begin to pull that off. And as, it, as JC said, this is a contact sport and it's a contact virus. So the challenges are so much greater in football. Uh, you know, it, it, it is almost hard to believe that they are going to be able to pull it off. But once again, uh, as they move forward with, you know, with more treatments and different things like that, it just seems like things are rapidly moving forward. Yeah, just the sheer number of the people involved with putting on a football game. You know, the teams are larger than any other sport. You got more coaches, and there's also the people behind the scenes. So it's just more people in general in football. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, moving on. We're going to do one more here before we take a break, and I can tell you guys about how you can get signed up for Football Insider. That's how you get your questions on this podcast, plus many, many more benefits. We'll get to that later. This last question before we take a break, this subscriber asking, and Scott, we, you kind of wrote about this today, and we'll continue in our series of how the Browns match up against the rest of the AFC North. But this Ravens story came out today by Scott Pasco, so I thought this question was fitting. This person asks, with, with beating the Ravens as the Browns' goal, how does our offense, personnel, and scheme match with the Ravens' defense? How will our offense attack Baltimore's? Could Odell Beckham Jr. or Donovan Peoples-Jones be secret weapons? So, Scott, I'm going to let you have the floor here and – and when putting that story together, what did you learn comparing specifically the Ravens' uh, defense to the Browns' new-look offense? Uh, well, I think if you think the Browns have questions at linebacker, you haven't seen the Ravens yet because the Ravens have some, some questions too. They lost their, their best linebacker in free agency, um, whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, I can't think of it. Anyways, they drafted Patrick Queen, not noted for his coverage skills but he is one of the top linebackers in, in the draft. And then they got Malik Harrison, who can cover. I believe he was a fourth rounder. Um, you got LJ Fort, who's still there. Um, so there's some question marks. You don't know. And then you got a Browns team who now is going to feature multiple tight ends and have them be a bigger part of the, the, uh, the offense. So that's one way that maybe the Browns end up finding ways to attack the Ravens because, yeah, Earl Thomas can cover somebody. And, yeah, you know, one of one of their linebackers can, but sooner or later you're going to run out of people. There's there's a spot for Kareem Hunt to 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 weasel in there and get a matchup uh, matchup problem. So the Browns now I think have more of those potential matchup issues than they had in the past, 
and knowing that the Ravens are trying to figure things out, um, not really a linebacker. They're, they also redid their defensive line. Now they brought in some, some talent there. Uh, but I think this isn't the Ravens defense that we saw a couple years ago. It's still going to be good. It's still the Ravens, but they still, they're still trying to figure things out too. And if everything goes off as planned and that week one game uh, happens as scheduled, you know, the Ravens are going to be trying to figure things out too. So I, there's, there's the opportunity there, I think, for the Browns to take advantage of things. It seems defensively they just always uh, – they always seem to find a way, you know. I mean, it's just it's, – it's like – it seems like that with the Steelers too. They lose these big-name guys, you know. I mean, they say goodbye to the C.J. Mosleys and the Terrell Suggs and, and uh, you know, some of their big-name guys, and they just keep kind of funneling them through. And they don't have to have big names, but they draft so well. These clubs draft so incredibly well uh, that they find guys to plug in there. And before you know it, uh, you know, there's, there's four new stars on that defense that nobody ever really heard of before. So, uh, you know, even though Ozzy's really not in charge of the drafting anymore, I think they're still very, very strong. I think they have got a really solid, strong system. And you just cannot put anything past them and their amazing coach, John Harbaugh. And, uh, and so I, I – expect big things out of that defense again. Josh yeah. Bynes is who I was thinking of. Josh Bynes. He was our top linebacker last year. He's gone. Um, so, yeah, they, they have some, some questions to answer there. Yeah, and when you look at the Ravens, and I, I wrote about this before my furlough week, the recipe is out. And where I think Browns fans can find some comfort is that the Tennessee Titans ran wide zone, which is what the Browns are going to be trying to do and they broke the Ravens' defense with play-action pass. So I think they're in the second quarter there, that 44-yard touchdown um, really was the nail in the coffin when it came to mom in terms of momentum. And that's how I see this Browns offense striking this year. It's going to be wide zone, run the ball, you know, underneath passing. But when the chance is there, they're going to hit deep with a guy like Odell Beckham Jr. And then I like that this insider listed Donovan Peoples-Jones as a guy who, you know, okay, Odell's going to get the double coverage. Jarvis isn't necessarily your field stretcher. Well, let's put the rookie out there and exploit a one-on-one -on -one coverage guy. And they've got other guys that can go deep, too. The, the Titans guy, I can't even remember his name right now. I, I honestly don't even know if he's on the roster. Uh, point is, when you get behind a secondary and one-on-one coverage, you know, catch the ball. Mostly all these receivers can. So there's going to be chances to get behind the Ravens secondary, despite it being their strongest suit. I want to make that clear. I think Jimmy Smith's like their number four, third or fourth corner right now so it's a it's a talented unit that's not what I'm saying it's more about how they were exploited last year and look these teams aren't gonna you know you can say the Browns aren't gonna have time to coach this offense up but you know the Ravens defense those same issues are, are gonna probably be there especially in week one like you said Scott so they're gonna be figuring out the Browns are gonna be figuring out and hey maybe it all it takes is a, a one or two deep shots to an Odell or Donald Peoples Jones uh, to switch this up so all right, listeners, we're going to take a quick break, and I'm going to tell you about how you can get signed up for Football Insider, which, again, is how you get your questions on Texter Tuesday and many more wonderful perks. And then when we come back, we have even more Texter Tuesday questions on the other side. So don't go anywhere. Hey, everybody, it's Dan. I want to tell you about Football Insider. It's our texting service. Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams, me. We text you. Throughout the day, Brown's breaking news, uh, analysis, the latest news, anything you want. And, of course, it gives you an opportunity to interact directly uh, you know, with all of us. You can text. Uh, we see your texts. I'll text directly to you. It cuts through all the clutter of Twitter, Facebook, wherever else you could interact with us. This comes directly to us, and we can talk directly 
to you. It's also the only way that you can get your questions on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Uh, if you listen to that and you want to be a part of that, you've got to sign up for Football Insider. And again, it's a, it's a great way to interact with all of us, and it's a unique way to interact with all of us that you can't get anyplace else. So why should you sign up? Everything I just said, but also you can get a 14-day free trial. So you can check it out, see if you like it, see if you like getting texts from us, ask your questions, get them answered. If you don't, you can cancel. I don't think you're going to want to, though, because it's only $3.99 a month. That's less than $0.14 cents a day. And you also get access to special events like our NFL Draft Preview on April 16th that will feature all of us. And again, the thing I like best, you can ask me a question. I can respond directly to you. Nobody else sees it. It's exclusive. It's personal. I think you'll love it. Give it a shot. All you have to do to sign up is go to cleveland.com slash browns. There's a banner at the top of the page or text me 216-208-3965. Again, to sign up, text 216-208-3965. Hello and welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. My name is Ellis Williams, joined by Mary Kay Cabot and Scott Pasco. Bring you back into your text or Tuesday questions here on this Wednesday edition. Appreciate you bearing with us. So let's get right back into it. This next insider asks simply, what's happening with the guard who is available? And I'll fill in the blank there. It's Larry Warford of the Saints. I believe a three-time pro bowler, uh, more of a bigger name guy, which probably gets into why he's still out there. Uh, but we'll start with you, Mary Kay. Are you hearing anything about not just the Browns bringing in a guy like Larry Warford, but just Larry Warford in general? Why is he still available, you think? Well, in terms of the Browns, and, you know, they play it very close to the vest. And so it's very hard right now to gauge – you know, who exactly they would have interest in and who they don't have interest in. Uh, but the thing that I kind of sort of heard, you know, out there in the league about Larry Warford, you know, for the Browns wide zone and for the, the scheme that they're running, he's not necessarily uh, the movement guy. You know, they're looking for guys that have the really quick feet, the really agile, the really athletic guys that can, you know, get out and do what they need them to do in this wide zone. So, I think that could be part of it with him. Uh, the other part of it is I think they feel pretty good about what they have in terms of the competition at that position. They've got uh, Wyatt Teller. They've got Drew Forbes. They've got Nick Harris. Uh, and they've got a couple of other guys there that are kind of newer guys, Evan Brown and some guys like that, that we don't even really know very much about yet. So I think, I think they feel okay from that standpoint with what they have from an athleticism standpoint. Yeah, I, I – I thought the same thing too. Like he's more known as like a, a mauler, more of a, a big, a big slow guy who plays very well, but, but maybe not the great greatest fit. And the guys, you know, Wyatt Teller didn't really uh, burst onto the scene last year, but he was, you know, you're, there's a difference I think between playing next to Chris Hubbard versus playing next to Jack Conklin and the Browns probably want to see if that's something that can help him. So they, they did well to upgrade the people around that position. So, you know, I think, you don't have to have five pro bowlers on your offensive line. You can, you can get by, you know, with, with the talent that they have, and you have a quote-unquote weak link that, uh, you know, that's good enough. Yeah, I agree with that one, Scott. All right, this next one. Why haven't the Browns brought in Phil Dawson to tutor Austin Seibert? Scott, is that something you'd like to see, Phil Dawson coming back? I, that I, don't, I don't know. I mean, they have a special teams coach, right? You know, I – I'm sure – I think when uh, when Dawson was in Cleveland to announce his retirement, I believe they had conversations, if I remember correctly. But, you know, I, it's – Seibert knows how to kick the ball. And he had a pretty good season for a rookie year. He had some issues with, with extra points 
towards the dog pound. Um, I think he made everything inside like 40 yards. So, you know, it was, it was a solid enough rookie year. I don't think there's huge question marks about the Browns kicking game going into year two for him. And you know what? I mean, if they did decide to do something like that, just as almost just as a nod, you know, to Phil in the same way that Joe Thomas is working with, with Jedrick Wills, I wouldn't have any problem with that. I know he would like to be part of this organization and he kind of left his heart here. And there are a lot of fans that still think very highly of him. So if he came in and spent some time during training camp, if there even is going to be a normal training camp, uh, if he came and spent a little bit of time here, I, I actually think it might be, you know, a nice, you know, sort of a nice PR move and something that certainly would help Austin Seibert in some way. And it would probably be good for Phil too. So I would be all for it. Uh, you know, I, I think it's kind of a nice idea. I'm, I'm making up this own question. I'm, so Ellis Williams is now going to submit his own football insider question. Uh, with the Joe Thomas question and the Phil Dawson question, I, I think it's appropriate. And you two are the perfect ones to answer. Um, and I know we live in a nostalgic time right now, especially with everything going on. But what was it about the, the Joe Thomas and Phil Dawson Browns that, that fans just really love and hold on to, you think? Scott? The uniforms? <laughs> <laughs> At least before, before they changed them back. Um, Fair. You know, when the Browns are losing, I think there was more of a of a, a feeling of you latch on to certain players, especially guys who've been here a long time and guys who endured that kind of losing because, in a way, that's a, that's a connection you have to the fans. So, you know, Phil Dawson and, and Joe Thomas and Joe Hayden and even Christian Kirksey, guys who have been here through a lot of that, um, I think they, they kind of get a special connection to the fans because even though the Browns are losing, those guys are still here and they're still trying. Um, and Phil, I mean, Phil Dawson was a good kicker too. That had a lot to do with, and Joe Thomas obviously is Joe Thomas. So, um, there wasn't a lot to cheer for during their time here, but they were playing at high level. And I think that made it easy to kind of latch on to. And also, I think they were both faces of the franchise. I mean, these guys, uh, were, were two guys that you could always go to them. They would stand at their locker and talk ad nauseum, uh, to any reporter that would come up to them. And then they would do it all over again and all over again. And they always had great positive things to say uh, about the football team. They held the team together through all those rough, rough times. Uh, and also they wanted to be here, you know. It didn't matter how much the Browns lost and lost and lost. They loved it here. The fans embraced them. It was a two-way love affair. And, uh, and it, it was just nice to have really good quality players that wanted to stick it out until the good times rolled. Well, and there was part of the problem. Your kicker and your left tackle were the faces of the franchise. Yeah. So there you go. Right. <laughs> All right, two more before we get out of here. This next one. Why isn't Yannick Ngakwe getting more buzz? It seems like everybody is wanting Jadavion Clowney. I would argue that Ngakwe would be a safer bet. I know we would have to give up a draft pick, probably at least a second rounder, and pay him, but he just turned 25. Mary Kay, you hearing anything on that front or have a theory there? Well, it probably is the high draft pick compensation. I'm sure that has something to do with it. If you want Jadavian Clowney, all you have to do is sign him on the dotted line and be willing to pay some money for that. Uh, but with Yannick, you're going to have to give up a pretty high pick. Who knows? Maybe even a first rounder. I'm not exactly sure uh, what they would want for that. But, you know, they can they can hold out until a team – you know, gets a little bit more desperate and then you're willing to give up a little bit more when push comes to shove. So 
there's no sense of urgency right now. There's not a game tomorrow. And, uh, and those are some of the reasons. Yeah, Olivier Vernon's a good player. <laughs> I mean, he, he got that big contract because he had done well. You know, I, I think people are really ready to throw him out, partly because of the $15 million he's scheduled to make this year. But there's the injury issues, and I get it. But if you look at the 10 games that he was on the field with Miles Garrett, he played well. He was performing, if you like pro football focus data, he was performing better than both those guys, uh, Clowney and the guy whose name that Ellis pronounces better than me. So, yeah, you know, and, and you're not going to get Clowney cheap, and you've given up a trap draft pick for, for the other one. So, you know, you, you keep Vernon, and you go through training camp, and I believe his contract doesn't become guaranteed until like a week before the season. Correct. Believe, uh, if that's correct. So you got time. And if he's healthy, you know, like I said, whether or not he's producing at a $15 million level, that's another discussion. But uh, when you, if you want to compare him to those two guys, uh, he's, you know, he's done well. You know, Clowney is not a big sack guy. I think everybody thinks Clowney's going to come in here and get like 15, 16 sacks. Uh, I don't believe he's ever had double-digit sacks in the NFL. Um, his high for, for pressures in a year is like 63. You know, Olivier Vernon's topped 80 a couple times. So, you know, I think they're content with keeping Vernon, at least get him into camp whenever they can start getting players on the field and see how he's doing and then figure things out. Yeah, they, they really think very highly of a healthy Olivier Vernon. And that's the key with him. He hasn't been healthy the last two seasons. But when he is healthy and when he is on the football field, he's a force to be reckoned with. And I think they're counting on him being healthy and really complimenting Miles Garrett this season. Yeah, Mary Kay, and you've been on this from the jump. Um, then you get that compensatory pick, too, assuming Olivier Vernon doesn't resign. So I, it all makes a lot of sense. And Scott, it took two YouTube video pronunci pronunciation help to say Yannick Ngakwe. So finally, my hard work <laughs> wasn't easy. All right, before we get out of here, this last one, um, you guys do a fantastic job week to week. We say thank you. Here's an off-the-wall question. What, in your opinion, is the greatest football book ever? And then this insider lists a few of his or hers. Paper Lion, uh, Fans Notes, Friday Night Lights, North Dallas 40, and When Pride Still Mattered. Uh, so, Scott, do any of those stand out, or what's your favorite? Well, I read Friday Night Lights a long time ago, and that was excellent. Um, gosh. Football books. I think I've read more soccer books than football books, to be honest. I'm looking at my, my bookshelf here. Um, man, I would probably go with Friday Night Lights if you want, like, a good uh, behind-the-scenes look. I know it's high school football, but there was a lot of enlightening things in there about Texas football. Uh, and obviously it was, you know, enough of a hit to make a TV series and a movie out of. So uh, that would probably be at the top of my list of football books that I've read. Well, I haven't read it, but now I will. So you told it to me, um, but no, obviously great movie. And, uh, and I'm sure the book is even better. Yep. And, and for me, I actually have not gotten that one. Of course, the series and the movie for sure. Um, I just ordered playing for keeps uh, by David Halberstam, the Michael Jordan kind of tell all um, I'm excited to read that after watching the last stand. So I know it's not a football book, but that's what I'm on right now. Um, all right, listeners, look, I didn't pay for the premium version of Zoom, so we are literally running out of time here. So we got to go. Uh, but for myself, Mary Kay Cabot and Scott Pasco, we thank you for listening. And until tomorrow, take care, y'all.